0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Through our series, Divided, Seeking Unity in a Fractured World, we're coming face-to-face with the division that seems to define the culture of our nation, our communities, and even our churches. Join us as we turn to 1 Corinthians to discover the unifying power of a people who follow Christ. Have you ever uh, been in a situation where you felt called to something, but didn't necessarily feel or know if you had the resources to live up to that? I remember uh, I felt this way similarly uh, last year. So at the beginning of 2021, uh, Alicia, my wife, and I recognized that there were some things in our relationship that we needed to work through. Kind of coming out of COVID, like a lot of relationships and through some aspects of marriage, I realized there were just some things we had been ignoring through that season. And uh, it kind of came to our attention and we were like, all right, we got to work through this. So um, certainly as your pastor, I'm not perfect. And You know, every relationship has those moments. And so we entered into a season, we found a a good counselor, and we jumped in to kind of start to work through stuff. And as we started working through stuff, I realized that there were some significant areas in my heart and life that were contributing to some of the issues that we were having in our relationship. And and what I began to realize was they were deeply rooted in in my experience and my heart and all this sort of stuff. And I, I remember coming to a moment in that season where I just felt like, I don't know if I can change. Like, I, I mean, I had this high call. Like, I, I know and value what God's word says about marriage and the desire to be the sort of husband that could love Alicia the way I desired and wanted to. But, but in kind of recognizing that call and where I was, I was like, that gap feels like a mile. Like, I, God, can I, re- like, I don't know if I have it in me to actually, like, get there. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. Maybe in a relationship. Maybe... In, in your life in some other way where you, you knew what God called you to, but you felt like, man, I'm, I'm way behind that benchmark. And, and I don't know if I've got it in me to get to where he's, he's calling me. Now, thankfully, God worked through a lot and in me in that season, and that's another story for the other day. But, but I, I think and have to imagine that that's a little bit of how the church in Corinth felt when they got the letter from the Apostle Paul. Last week, we kicked off this series that we're in called Divided, where we're looking at Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth. And the church in Corinth was a hot mess. They, uh, Paul had planted the church. He had started it, had ministered to it for 18 years, and then Paul had left to go uh, plant other churches. And while he was out planting other churches, Paul gets a report back from people and a letter essentially telling him, hey, that church you started, they've got some massive problems And uh, somebody better do something about it or else this whole thing's going to kind of fall apart. And so Paul writes the letter to the church in Corinth to help them in the midst of some of the challenges they're facing. One of the major challenges they're facing is church unity. They're dividing all over the place. And so that's where we're recognizing kind of in this season the challenges that all churches are facing in our culture and, and how God still calls us to be a united people. And so in Paul's opening to write to this church in Corinth, he reminds them of kind of the high calling that God has for his church. Last week, we looked at just the first three letters. And from the very beginning of his letter, as Paul writes to Corinth, he reminds them that God has called his church to be both holy and united. Look at verse 2, if you have your Bibles open with me. Paul says this, "...to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ..." called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both theirs and ours. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about the calling that the church is meant to be both holy and unified, that at times can feel like a massive bar. Right? Like, oh, that's, that's what we're supposed to be? Like, we're supposed to be holy like God is holy. We're supposed to, like, be united despite all the differences that we bring to the table in Christian community. I mean, sometimes I honestly wonder, even pastoring a church, like, God, do we have the resources to do that? Like, that just seems like a massive gap at times. I mean, let's be honest. We face a lot of challenges when it comes to Christian community. We face the challenges of external pressure. We live in a fractured culture that's increasingly find more and more ways to divide that often challenges the way we're united together. We struggle with our own internal reality of our sin and brokenness. We're not naturally prone towards unity or naturally prone towards holiness. Our flesh challenges us all the time. And not only that, scripture teaches us that we actually have a spiritual enemy who's actively seeking to challenge us in those areas. And so it's no wonder we often feel sometimes in the moment when we hear the calling of what the church is supposed to be, if we don't feel in sometimes like, can we actually be that? Or is this whole thing just a mess? I mean, I have to imagine that the first hearers of Paul's letter had to feel a little bit of that same struggle as well. I mean can you imagine just just for a moment with me if you were back then you're living in Corinth this massive Greek city on the port that's incredibly diverse all these sorts of different people you're likely in a house church which means you're in someone's living room gathered together on a Sunday morning to worship Jesus and somebody brings this letter from the apostle Paul and the apostle Paul you and so they begin to read it and the very first thing you hear him say is hey you're called to be holy and you're called to be united and I have to imagine, if you were sitting there, the first thing you probably think is like, does he know what church he's writing to? Like, Paul, you've got, to be, you've got a lot. Like, don't you know the mess that we're in? I imagine you start sitting there and you're thinking about your community that's around you and you're like, well, we're not sanctified. I mean, we've got all sorts of issues. We've got division in this church about who likes what apostle more and who's with this guy and who's with that guy. We got guys sleeping with their mother-in-laws. We can't even figure out what to do about eating food sacrificed to idols. The rich are avoiding the poor and exploiting them. We can't figure out communion. I mean, our spiritual gifts are like out the wazoo. I mean, I would imagine if you were sitting there hearing this letter from Paul and being like, hey, you're called to be united and you're called to be holy. I'd imagine the first thought I would have is like, you're off. You've lost it. Like, there's no way. And I have to think that Paul anticipates that reaction. I think Paul anticipates that even in giving his first hearers and us today the high bar of what it really looks like to be the church and be the sort of community that God has designed us to be, that there's naturally this recognition to say, do we have what it takes to actually be that? Despite all the challenges that surround us. And I think before Paul gets into all those challenges, And all those issues, the place he wants to bring the church back to is to remind them, yes, God has given you everything you need in Christ to be the sort of community that he has called you to be. And so Paul begins in this little section at the beginning of his letter to remind us of what God has given us so that we can live out the calling that he has called us to. So what has God given us? Well, Paul makes it clear right away in verse 4. Look what he writes. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. The place Paul wants to begin the church, to begin the letter as he draws their attention and begins to encourage them is, hey, be reminded, God has given you his grace. Paul begins his letter with a statement of thanksgiving. Now this isn't uncommon for Paul. Often when Paul writes letters to the churches that we find in the New Testament, he often begins with his kind of introductory greeting and he usually moves to a thanksgiving section, to giving thanks to God for what he's doing in that community. What's unique is not that Paul has a thanksgiving section, what's unique is the way he frames it. Oftentimes when Paul writes a thanksgiving section, he usually likes to highlight certain attributes of what God is doing among the community that he's writing to. So for instance, when he writes to the church in Rome, he begins by giving thanks that their faith is being proclaimed in all the world, that that church's faith is going out, and it kind of sets the tone and framework. When he writes to the church in Ephesus, he gives thanks that they're, for their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love towards all the saints. He's like, oh man, you guys trust Jesus and you love him. Awesome. Thank God. When he writes to the church in Thessalonica, he highlights their work in faith and their labor of love and steadfastness of hope. So it's normal for Paul to look at a community and say, man, you guys are great at that. Praise God. What's unique about Paul's move here is that he doesn't give thanks for who the Corinthians are. He steps back and gives thanks for what God has done. And the question that you have to ask yourself at that point is like, well, why does Paul change it up here? Why does he shift? And I think there's kind of two reasons. One, because this church is a hot mess, and one of their problems is their spiritual pride. When you read through the letter, you realize they're prone to arrogance. They're prone to trust themselves. They think they're awesome. And so Paul from the get-go is like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's not turn their attention there. But even more importantly, I think Paul starts by giving thanks to what God has given because he knows that if we're going to move to a place to live out the calling that God has called us to, the starting point for that work is not by looking at ourselves, but by looking at God. By putting our focus in the right place. And so Paul says, I give thanks always, constantly, because of what God has given you. Namely, that God has given you his grace. Despite all this church's problems, despite all the issues, despite everything that have, Paul can still look at them and say, God's grace is among you. God has given you what you need. And that's amazing. It's also a great reminder from Paul that anytime we look at Christian community, one of the places we should often begin is by celebrating the grace of God to us. It's so easy to focus on our problems. It's so easy to look at our divisions but do we ever take for a moment the time to say, no, 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 no. Let's remind ourselves what God has done because you can always find evidence of that. And that can also and often lead you towards greater unity. New Testament scholar Gordon Fee in his commentary on this section of 1 Corinthians makes this note. He says, in every redeemed person, there is evidence of the grace of God which brings forth Paul's gratitude both to God and for them. To delight in God for God's working in the lives of others, even in the lives of those with whom one feels compelled to disagree, is sure evidence of one's own awareness of being the recipient of God's mercy. Paul had received incredible grace from God. Remember, Paul was murdering people from the church, and yet God showed him grace and called him to be apostle. And that grace is now overflowed, even as he writes this letter to this dysfunctional church to say, I thank God for the grace among you. See, when you've received grace, you'll become a person of grace, and that drastically changes the way you approach the way you relate to other people. And so Paul celebrates the grace that God has given them. For Paul, grace encompasses all that's given to them in Christ Jesus. When Paul often speaks of grace, he means the totality of God's blessing and favor and goodness, his gracious activity among his people. Grace for Paul is not just a narrow focus of, oh, God has given you something that you get one day. It includes that, but it's even more than that. It's the blessings and resources that God gives to his people, not because they deserve it, but out of his own gracious nature, right? That's grace, unmerited favor, that's given to his people to live and be the people that he has called them to be. And so Paul reminds them: God has given you his grace. But but what are what, what does that mean? Like, what are the results of that grace that God has given us that can actually help us then live up to that calling? Like, that can feel vague. Like, okay, God's given us grace, great, what does that mean? Well, Paul's going to go on to elaborate, really, two keys to God's grace that he's going to set as kind of the foundation for this church as he calls them to live out the calling that God has for them. So he highlights two aspects of God's grace that are provided for them. The first one we see comes right away in the, verse 5. He says this, So let me back up. I'll read verse four so you can hear the flow. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. The first thing that Paul wants to remind them is because of God's grace, we are rich in the right things, which means we have what's necessary to live out what God has called us to do. mean, Paul's literal phrase is, you were enriched. You were given riches by God out of his grace. And those riches are what enable you to fulfill the calling that God has for you. God is a generous God. He gives out of his nature to us. And when we recognize that, we can step back and say, yeah, God has given us what we need. For Paul specifically, he reminds them that you were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge. Now, that might seem like, okay, that's a nice idea. But for the Corinthians, Paul is challenging them right from the very get-go to say, even the things that you think you're strong in are actually gifts from God. He's the one who's given you. You see, in, in Corinth, in those days, they would have been highly marked by Greek culture. And Greek culture valued two things supremely when it came to people. They valued rhetoric and they valued logic. And and often if you trace back the root of where those things, we see those birthed out of kind of the Greek culture and what it was. And so so they prized those. The Corinthian church prized those things above anything. They felt like if you could speak well, and if you had good knowledge, right, good logic and understanding, man, then you, you were like the next step up, right? That's what a spiritual person was. And we actually see them judge Paul because he wasn't that great of a speaker. So they prize these things above all things. They, they made these the markers, and they, they look to these things. to. And what Paul says when he says, hey, you are enriched in speech and logic, is he's reminding them, hey, even those things that you prize, those are gifts from God. Th- those don't come out of you. Those, those aren't because of what you've achieved or what you've earned or what you've accomplished. Even the things you think are most valuable— are actually rooted out of what God has done among you. He's enriched you in those things. So to celebrate those things is actually to look back and say, oh, God has given us what we need. God has provided for us. See, oftentimes, if we're not careful in spiritual community, we can prize what we value and what we're good at, and we can begin to believe that that makes us better than other people. Now for us, it's not speech and knowledge, right? Those aren't necessarily the values of our culture in the same way, but maybe in our culture, in the West, it's hard work and achievement. Maybe maybe it's easy for us to think, yeah, we work hard, and I accomplish and move up the social ladder, and spiritual people, true spiritual people, that's what they look like. They look like hard workers and achievers. That's what it really means to be part of God's kingdom. That's what it really means to be spiritual. But what often happens then, and God values hard work. You can read the book of Proverbs. God's not against that. But what often happens then is if we're not careful, we can suddenly begin to trust in those things instead of trusting in the Lord. Or we can even begin to think that our hard work and achievement is rooted in us, not rooted in the grace of God. That even what we've earned, even what we've accomplished is only out of what God has graciously given to us. God has given us our talent. God has given us our mind. God has given us our ability. God has placed us in the certain family and circumstances that we have. All of those things are aspects of God's grace. So to suddenly pull in pride in such a way that we start to judge other people spiritually or other communities spiritually because, well, they just don't work hard as us. They must not be a spiritualist because they don't achieve this, 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 and this. Begins to lead us in a path of arrogance that will actually lead towards division instead of unity. And Paul wants to cut that off from the head when it comes to this community. So the place that he comes to is to say, hey, even the things you think are great, even what you think you're rich in, go back and remember, God has given you those things out of his grace. God has provided. He's the root. Because when you do that, you'll approach things out of humility with others, not out of pride. And so Paul wants to remind us, even from the get-go, hey, you're rich in what you have because of God's grace. But not only are they rich in speech and knowledge, they're also not lacking any of the gifts necessary to live out the calling that God has called them to. One of the things you can recognize in reading through the letter of 1 Corinthians is that this was a gifted church. They had some dynamic, spiritual, and supernatural experiences. God did some things in those church, in that church, in that day that you would look at and be like, oh, I can't even believe God works that way. But Paul even wants them to recognize that God has given them in their giftedness the resources to pursue his greater calling of holiness and unity among them. That all of that is even a gift of God's grace. In fact, look at verse 7. Look what he says, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus. So, so Paul says, you've been enriched, not only in speech and knowledge, but a giftedness in a way that you're not lacking. Now, what's interesting is that verb or that word that Paul uses there, sorry, noun, the noun for spiritual gift is actually rooted back in the idea of gracious giving or generosity, abundant generosity. And so even Paul's word that he uses to describe their gifts, he's highlighting the idea of grace, that these gifts are a gift to them. They're something that God has given them. They haven't earned it, but God has given it to them. And because God has given it to them, he's given them exactly what they need in their community to live out the calling that he's called them to. Even what God provides in his community spiritual gift-wise is a resource to pursue his calling. And Paul will remind them, you're not lacking. Why are you not lacking? Because God has given you, each other, in your giftedness to help live out this calling. Paul will remind the church later in his letter what it means that they're not lacking in the gifts of God. When he would write in 1 Corinthians 12, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So what Paul wants them to recognize, even from the beginning of the letter, is that God has given each person in his church unique gifts, unique talents, unique spiritual gifts that are meant to contribute to the health and wholeness of how God designed his church to be. And that if we're to be a healthy church, we need to recognize that part of the reason we can pursue God's calling is because of the giftedness of one another. That we're designed to help each other live out this calling together. God has given you unique gifts that are meant to help his team. Think of it like this. So um, they just had recently the um, draft for Major League Baseball. So if you're not a baseball fan, just hang with me for a second, okay? And when it comes to Major League, the draft of Major League Baseball, GMs spend time seeking and evaluating players to say, who are the players that can be brought into our team that can help us complement and be the best team possible? Now, when they go out to search for baseball players there's one type of player that they look for above all the rest. It's called the five-tool player. Because the five-tool player has all the things necessary when it comes to baseball. They can run, they can hit, they can throw, they can field, right, they can do everything. And so these are like the prized guys that you could find, the the Mike Trouts of the world, the like, we're we're gonna go after the five-tool players. The reality is, though, there are very few five-tool players. Most Major League Baseball players are really good at one or maybe two things. So if you're good at pitching, usually you're really good at pitching, and you're not very good at hitting. Unless you're Shohei Otani, but that's a whole different story. Maybe you're really good at hitting, but you're not great at fielding. Usually, most major league players have one really supreme strength that they try to work on and focus on and develop that they then bring in contribution to the team. And so the GM then looks to say, okay, how can I fill my roster with the right attributes and mix of people in order for us to be a functional and healthy team to achieve what we need to achieve? In the church of Jesus Christ, there are no five-tool players. There is no one designed with all the gifts and all the talents for the church to be what Jesus wants it to be. We're all designed as specialists. We've all been given a gift, what Paul says, a manifestation of the spirit that is meant to then contribute to the whole for us to live out the calling that God has given us as his church and to be as healthy as we can be. Therefore, for us to actually be what God desires for us to be, it takes all of us utilizing our gifts together so that we can live out this high calling that God has. You and I are designed with a unique gift to contribute, and what Paul wants to remind you is you're not lacking anything that you need. Listen. There is not anything in our church community here at Farmington Hills that we're lacking in spiritual gifts in order to accomplish what God has accomplished. If we're lacking, it's because those gifts aren't being utilized, not because God hasn't given them to us. And Paul's reminder is, hey, we need all of us to be the sort of community that God desires for us to be, and we should celebrate that. We should look to say, what has God uniquely gifted me in? How can I contribute? And how does that bring health and wholeness to the the full? Even as a pastor, I recognize there are massive areas of weakness in my own life when it comes to my giftedness. I was just reminded of this on Friday. I got the chance Friday to go out to Camp Woodside and serve there for for a little bit. So we got, uh, I think six of our kids are out there with all the other Woodside third through fifth graders. They're having a blast. Um... And, and, but I, but I got to go out Friday to serve for a little bit. And it was great. I got to spend hours with the kids, have fun, do, do a bunch of stuff. But I left at three o'clock and um, I'll be honest, I was exhausted. Like, I, hear me, hear me say this right, I don't know how to say this best, so, but, like, I love kids, but kids aren't my thing. Like, I, I'm just not, that's not my gift. So after six hours, I'm like... Tap out who's coming in, right? But here's what's amazing. I, I was with literally dozens of leaders from around Woodside who are gifted to work with kids. And it was inspiring to watch the way they could connect with them and talk with them, the energy they had, the, the ability they had to help minister to our kids so that our kids could grow up in the faith. And I left there going like, thank God there are people who love our kids and serve our kids. Because we need each other. Right? You've got things to contribute. Some of you God has gifted in teaching. I'm not the only one gifted in teaching in this church. And our kids need it, our students need it, our life group needs it, our churches need it. We cannot be a one voice church. Some of you are gifted in administration. I can't administer my way out of a paper bag. And I need people who are able to organize things and bring things together. I need it in my life group. I need it in our church. Praise God for Joel Tompkinson, right? I mean, but I need that. And some of you have that to bring to community. Some of you have been gifted in all sorts. of. Some of you are amazing at hospitality. People interact with me. They're like, what's that guy problem? They interact with some of you and they're like, this is the kindest church I've ever been to in my life because you're gifted. And when we all contribute, when we all bring gifts to the table, we have the resources necessary to be what we're supposed to be. You see, we encourage serving around here, not because I want to fill volunteer spots. We encourage serving because I want to see your gifts brought to bear on our church so we can be the healthiest it can be, so that we can fulfill the God calling that God has for his people here at Woodside Farmington Hills. We want to help you come alongside you to develop your gifts and grow. I know I'm on a little bit of a hobby horse, but I think it's so vital that if we're to pursue the calling, we got to recognize God's given us what we need. We just need to be effective in utilizing it. So if you're not serving, man, we invite you in. Mark it on your connect card. We'll follow up. We'll help you figure out what your gift is if you don't know what it is. We'll help work with you so you can contribute to us so we can be a healthy community. We are rich in the right things. God is generous and gracious. He's not holding back from us. We just want to learn how we can do that more and more together. The second thing, though, then Paul wants to remind us is not only are we rich in the right things, but part of the reason we can pursue this high calling that God has given us in holiness and unity is that we're safe in the right relationship. Look where he turns his attention then in verse 7. So he reminds him, you're not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's a key point that Paul's making. Paul recognizes that in Christian community, even with all our gifts, even with the resources that we have, that often there comes a tension point for us as we wait for the fulfillment of God's promises. Right? We know God has promised in his word that Jesus will return one day to make the earth right, to deal with sin fully and finally, and reestablish God's kingdom forever. But what Paul wants to remind us is he knows as we wait for that day, we still live in a world of sin and brokenness. And so because of that, there's tension that gets brought up. Like I mentioned earlier, there's the pressure of societies and cultures around us. There's our own sin struggle, which causes issues within us. There's spiritual enemies that are still trying to attack us. And Paul knows, as we're waiting for that day when God finally and fully deals with that, that those things can be challenging to us. The Christian life is good, but it's not easy. And the Christian community is incredible, but it's challenging. Because we have all these issues seeking to attack us. And it can be easy for us then sometimes to look at those realities and think, man, we, we're never going to get there. I mean, if, if you've lived in Christian community long enough, all of us who have at some point have felt like, I don't know if this thing's going to work. All of us have felt hardships. All of us have had moments where they are like, I mean, even as a pastor, I'm like, I I don't know. I mean, if you've never felt like giving up on the church, then I don't know if you've really lived in the depth of community because there's challenges. There really is. It can be hard and hurtful and painful and struggle and all of that. We're waiting for Jesus to come and finish his promises. In the meantime, there's all this tension. But Paul wants to encourage them to persevere by saying, listen, not only do you have from God what's needed to pursue this vision, of being the church and Christian community, God actually has done what's necessary to allow you to persevere until that day comes. That's why he says, as you're waiting for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end. See, Paul reminds the Corinthians in the midst of all their brokenness, in the midst of all their dysfunction, you know what's gonna sustain you? Not you, Jesus. His grace is what will sustain you. His grace will allow you to see out the calling that God has for your community. It's him. He is faithful. And he's faithful because he's shown you his grace. And that's why this phrase, I love this phrase where he says this, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, that's the reality of grace. The reality of grace is if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, if you are in him, like Paul says, then God has removed your guilt. He's removed your shame. He's dealt with your sin on the cross. That's the good news of the gospel. We all recognize our own sinfulness and rebellion and brokenness, yet God, in his grace, not deserved by us, but merely out of his love and mercy, sent his son to die on our behalf, to pay for our sins. And then he rose again, announcing his kingdom is coming. And when we put our faith in him, God does not see us in our sin. He sees us in Christ, which means our sin has been removed. Our stain is gone. And we can anticipate that when the day comes for God to remove sin from this earth, he will see us guiltless because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. So because of that, we're safe. Even though we struggle with sin, even though we struggle with the the issues that often plague our lives and our communities, we can trust Because of his work on the cross, that God will sustain us and protect us. Because we're in him, and Jesus cannot be broken. Think of it like this. I found this illustration from another pastor, and I think it's a good one. Right? Like I said, living in community is really challenging. And when we try to live in community with one another, right, we we face all kinds of pressure from all kinds of places. And most communities that rely on their own strength their own power at some point crack at some point that community cannot continue and oftentimes this is the struggle that we face of like can we re- we know We've tried it in societies around the world and different political visions and different philosophical visions and different things to say, oh, maybe we can finally achieve this vision of community that God designed us for from the very beginning. But time and time again, we see we don't have the resources necessary. We don't have the ability necessary. What Paul wants to remind you is the only reason the church has what it takes to live out the vision that God has for his people is because they're in Jesus. So what happens when the pencil, which is easily broken, is put in the pen cap and container? Well now, the pressure can't break it. And I'm trying, trust me. I'm weak, but I'm not that weak. All right? It, it can't. It, it might bend. There might be tension. It might be hard. But if we're in Jesus, it's not going to be broken. That's what God promises for his church. We might face tension. We might face struggle. We might face hardship. We might face the external pressure of a divided culture. We might face the struggle of our own sinfulness. We might face the enemy attacking us, but we won't break because we're in Christ, and he's strong enough. He's strong enough And so that's where Paul wants to remind you, you can pursue this thing even amidst all the challenges because Jesus will sustain you. And when your hope is fixed on him, you recognize you're okay, you're safe. I mean, that's why he says in verse nine, God is faithful, period. The reason we can pursue God's vision for his church is not because we're faithful. It's because God is faithful. It's because he has set a firm foundation for us in Christ Jesus. And when we rely on his resources, recognizing that relationship, recognizing what he's given us, then we can have the freedom to pursue that despite all the bumps and challenges that we face. Yes, sometimes things are really hard, but don't give up. Don't fail to persevere. It might just be in that moment that God's actually forming you, not breaking you. He might be redeeming that for something greater within your life and in your community. And so Paul wants to remind us, because of grace, we can pursue this vision. We have what's necessary to live out what God has called us to in unity. That's why he ends here with this vision. And I want you to catch it at the end of verse 9, because it's this setup for what's going to follow in the weeks to come. So he's laid out all of this reality of God's grace He's enriched us. He's given us gifts. We're safe. Jesus will sustain us. And then he says here, God is faithful, and then he says, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son. If you're in Jesus this morning, you need to recognize the reason you're in Jesus is because God called you. You didn't have the strength. You didn't have the resources. God merely out of his sovereign grace saw you in your mess and called you to himself. Now there's good news in that for us in two ways. One, it means none of us, none of us are too far from God that he can't call us to himself. If salvation's dependent on us, man, some of us aren't gonna make it. And I'm in that boat. I don't have the resources to hold fast to Christ. I don't have that ability. But if salvation is in God, then I can have hope. I can trust that God has given everything I need to to live the life that he's called me to and to pursue being the sort of community that he's called me to be part of. So there's hope. None of us are too far from God. And the second is, if it's God's calling, he'll finish the work. He'll do what's necessary, despite our challenges, despite the work that he does, despite the, the ways that we struggle with our divisions and issues. Again, this church is a mess but Paul's reminding them you're called in Christ. He's done it for you, and he'll finish the job. But that also reminds us that as God has called us to himself, in that calling, he's called us to one another. You see that little word Paul uses there, the fellowship? That's a fun church word, isn't it? Fellowship. We have like the fellowship hall. Did anyone have the fellowship hall growing up? Apparently the only place that we can gather in community is in the church gym. So, But it's often a word that's been lost kind of in history, this idea of fellowship. But really, when you, when you dig back into it, that, that word really has the idea of participation. Right? It, it's the idea of, of being joined into something. So when Paul says, you've been called into fellowship of Christ Jesus... What he reminds you is you've been called to participate in him, and because of that, you're also called to participate in one another. Now, this is going to be his foundation that he's going to lead for from the rest of the book. Because of God's grace, he has called you into this relationship with himself, but that also uniquely forms the relationships that we have with one another who are in Christ Jesus. One translator translates this word. It's the idea of covenant community that you have been brought into God's covenant community, which means God has made a covenant with you in Christ, but you're also part of a community that God has made a covenant with, and this forms how we understand ourselves and who we are. Now, there's a lot to unpack with that that we're going to unpack in the weeks to come. What I want you to remember is that all of this is rooted in God's grace, that the call to Christian community and what God leads us to in being part of his fellowship, his covenant people, is because of what he has done. And it's because of what, we ha- what he has done that we can trust that he's given us everything we need to pursue the calling and vision that he's given to us. So we can have confidence and we can persevere. So, Alicia and I had done counseling and work and I recognized some things that I needed to grow in myself and so um, we took a course last year called Emotionally Healthy Relationships. And in this course, we worked through learning several tools on how we could relate to each other better. And um, I'll never forget, through that course, God just began to do a work in me to realize that He had given what was necessary for us to be able to pursue a healthy relationship. And at the end of that course, I'll never forget, the moderator, it was a course that we took with literally hundreds of um, people around the country and the world, but the, the moderator just asked us for a moment to share one sentence on something God had done through that course for us. And I'll never forget at the end of that, uh, the sentence that just came to me was, I feel like for the first time I have hope in these areas because I think I have what's necessary to actually begin to change. Now here's, here's the truth out of that. There's still been a lot of work to do. I still have parts in my life that I know God needs to grow me in to love my wife more. But recognizing I had the resources is what empowered me to pursue that work. And that's what Paul's trying to give us here. Listen, there's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of work to do in this church. I mean, next week you're going to come back and he's going to go right in at their first issue. And there's a lot of work to do in our church, in our lives, in our community. God is constantly bringing us and forming us to be the sort of people that he wants to be. What I want to encourage you today is to remember God has given you what you need in his grace and in his son. So let's pursue God together in that. Let's stand on that firm foundation and pursue being the sort of community that God desires to be. And along the way, let's, like Paul, just keep giving thanks to him for all that he's given to us.